Hi there, this is Brian Barnett with The Last Symptom. When I started The Last Symptom, I never in a million years imagined it would grow as it has. In these early shows especially, audio quality was often iffy, and there were references to services or online groups that are outdated and no longer in use. Great improvements have been made. Where should you go for all of the most up-to-date resources that I offer? TheLastSymptom.com is my permanent website full of free resources where everything is always up to date and that I encourage you to refer back to often. There are also a few modest paid resources at TheLastSymptom.com. These support my efforts and have allowed The Last Symptom to exist for as long as it has. These include one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week, intensive, pre-recorded online video course that is far superior to things like DBT. The Last Symptom has a flourishing YouTube and Rumble channel where I publish regular orange slices, which are condensed video insights of five or ten minutes in length. If you're just now discovering the last symptom, welcome. I hope you will find every insight and resource you need here for authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder. Now on to the show. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. This is Brian Barnett. Welcome back to the program. We've got a guest today. Uh, Her name's Jessica. And so let's get right into our interview with her and see what she's got to say. Welcome to the program, Jessica. Hello. Let's see, you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm Mm-hmm. It's spring where you're at. Yep. Everybody else is freezing their booty katooties off, <laughs> and you're enjoying the bright beauty of spring. Are the birds out and singing? Everybody's dancing in the streets? Uh, I wouldn't say anyone's dancing in the streets, but the birds are amazing, really beautiful here, and all of the blossom and the trees are out. We've had magnolia, we've had jasmine, the lavender is out, really completely stunning it's beautiful well it's wonderful to have you here and i appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to me you're kind of a private person Mm -hmm. so this is an especially nice treat for us and i think a lot of people are going to be able to identify with you Mm -hmm. today we had a conversation back and forth and i highlighted a few things that uh, i wanted to ask you about and hopefully you can go into greater detail about Mm -hmm. one thing you told me is that you've overcome a lot of the worst aspects of borderline personality disorder. So let's start off on a positive note. What are some of the worst aspects that 
you've seen um, diminish? Uh, I think the first thing I would say is the kind of incredible emotional highs and lows of unbelievable swings between overwhelming kind of happiness and joy and then terrible lows of feeling so incredibly worthless and ugly and unwanted and just redundant in the world. And I think what was incredibly difficult about these kind of mood swings is how quickly they happened so that I could be completely on top of the world, you know, at lunchtime. And by evening, I'd just be absolutely hating myself. And I mean, I'm, I'm really very reluctant to use the sort of symptom list in the DSM manuals as a tick box exercise, because I think that I think that one ought to take a very skeptical approach to the diagnostic approach that the psychiatric, I tend to call it an industry, uses. But I certainly did find that that aspect was incredibly difficult for me. And it was also extremely difficult for the people around me who just couldn't keep up with what was going on and found themselves exhausted by what they perceived as my demands for help and assistance. And that ended up with being kind of distanced quite a lot. And I think alienating people who were certainly contributing to my to my distress, but who also were trying to help in their own way. Are you talking about professionals? Or? My parents, my parents, and some and and people I'm people I've been close to, partners and um, and family members. But I think that there were certainly professionals who found it impossible to deal with as well. I, I mean, I think that <laughs> I think that the word intense used to get used an awful lot um, about me. Um, intense and my own worst enemy were two things that I used to hear a, a huge amount. And definitely those two things have diminished as I've become more able to understand for myself what's going on. And also, I think, to take emotional responsibility for my own mental state and my own kind of approach to the world. I definitely don't feel as though it is external factors that drive my emotional state any longer anywhere near the extent to which I used to feel. So I want to highlight that you, you've just said that with a greater understanding of why you were that way, you notice the diminishing of the effects. Yeah. All right. So the more you know, the more you understand it, the more you'll see a diminishing until finally it's not there anymore. I think that's absolutely right. Okay. Let's talk about you being flighty and being a scared little rabbit. Yeah, that's that's a work in progress. So I think that one of the things I've found about myself is that I have been able and very, very fortunate to be able to develop a persona, which which I'm quite proud of. And it's it's not a fake. It's an authentic part of who I am that I have been very lucky to have got a very good education. I've learned how to present myself to the world in a way which is judging by other people's responses to me, which is attractive. 
I find it very easy to make friends. I find it very easy to attract people to me. But what becomes very difficult is that as soon as that relationship or as soon as those relationships become very close and very intimate, that they become very difficult for me and they become very difficult for the other person. And I find myself losing trust in the situation so that as soon as I feel a level of emotional intimacy and and emotional closeness, I feel panicked, I get completely claustrophobic and I run. And that can be a question of running down the road or it can be a question of running to the other side of the world. And I've done both of those things repeatedly. Are there occasions that you look back on and you go, I really missed out on a wonderful thing there because I did that? Um, I do think that happens, yes. But I also think that this, the situations in which that has happened are situations where, and I'm really referring to one of the things that you said because it does strike a chord with me, that if one is in a situation of emotional unhealth, one is drawn to other people who are themselves in situations of emotional unhealth. I think that those times when I feel like I've missed out on something wonderful have been times when the other person has themselves also been suffering from an emotional distress. And so I don't know whether that thing that I thought would be wonderful would in fact have been wonderful. I've contributed to the dissolution of that potential healthy kind of progress that we could both have made with honesty and authenticity by running away. You talked about being angry and lonely for a lot of the time since about the age of seven. And you said that you're still stuck in certain areas that knowledge hasn't really meant power for you. So you're, you're contradicting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> On one case, you're saying that knowledge has made a diminishing of, of certain effects of the disorder. Yeah. And then in the other one, you're saying that knowledge hasn't really been power for you. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I was an absolute wreck for most of my adolescence and my 20s and pretty much into my mid-30s. I just couldn't, I could work and I could study and I could get through exams and I could get a job. I couldn't generally keep a job, but I could get a job. So for a long time, I was living in this state of acute distress most of the time but functioning pretty well. And then I went through a very unpleasant couple of years when my marriage, which had become extremely abusive, not so much physically, although it's quite threatening, but certainly emotionally very abusive, that broke down. Then over the course of the year during which I was going through that divorce, I suffered a big bereavement. My godmother died. Um, I was assaulted by a, a colleague at work who'd offered his support and his help and then completely abused it. And I ended up at the end of that year in a state of total physical and emotional collapse. That was followed by intense engagement with a lot of psychiatric professionals. I was medicated up to the eyeballs to the point where I could barely get out of bed each day. I was acutely suicidal, so 
once every couple of months, I would check myself into a very expensive private hospital because I was so afraid that I was going to hurt myself badly. And there were a number of pretty close calls, very, very serious close calls, hospitalizations, physical damage that I did to myself. And at the end of that, I, after, after the horrible, horrible weekends that just was sort of one catastrophe after another, I realized that if I carried on down that route, I was going to land up in a place I really didn't want to be, pretty much chronically disabled or in prison. And I knew that wasn't something that I was willing to tolerate for my future. So at that point, I sacked the, well, we parted by mutual consent after an enormous drama the psychiatrist that I had been completely addicted to and completely kind of dependent upon and who I actually think had facilitated quite a lot of my disintegration. I found a completely new doctor who was given the basic kind of starting point that I was going to get off every single piece of medication that I was on and that I was going to live a constructive and healthy future. And it took me three years to wean myself off everything that I'd been prescribed. It was a horrible, horrible experience. Wow. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm still enraged at, at what was done to me because it was the most gross negligence. So I lost probably four years of my life and a huge, like tens and tens and tens of thousands of, of pounds. Had to start again from scratch, rebuilding my career, rebuilding relationships. But the I think that, kind of tragedy of it was that although I knew I wanted to live and I knew I wanted to rebuild my life, I still had no real conception of self-love and self-worth. And so I ended up embarking on a relationship which, although it did me quite a lot of good in some ways in that it helped me to rebuild a lot of my life, it wasn't ultimately ever going to be the fulfilling partnership that I wanted then and that I still want now. When I say that, you know, I've I've made progress and I've overcome a lot of the obstacles, I'm no longer willing to accept any kind of suicidal temptations. I, I, I suffer from them sometimes, but I'm no, no longer willing to give in to them. And I'm no longer willing to allow the mood swings to destroy a working relationship or a a friendship. Let, let, let me interrupt you there for a minute. What do you do now when you've got these mood swings? What do you do different? Um, I don't let them take hold in the way that that I used to. I, I used to indulge myself. Uh-huh. Allow, I used to allow that kind of emotional lability to get entrenched and to take hold. And I used to, I actually used to glory in it. I thought it was evidence that I was special, you know, so, that I was more sensitive and that I was more capable of feeling so things. You, well, you are special. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never believed that in an intrinsic sense. And I think that's a very, very important part of this, that I was never convinced of my own worth, unconditional upon my intelligence and my giftedness and my external characteristics. Right. And I think that's a very important part of this whole disorder is that, that fundamental lack of valuation of one's own self-worth. Can you tell us what you've done to 
uh, kind of convince yourself of your intrinsic or inherent worth? Uh, it's a work in progress. Okay, good. I mean, I, I would agree with that. It was a work in progress for me as well, but you'll get there. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> did you have something to say? Well, um, I think what I wanted to really get across is the fact that despite the fact that I've made all these strides forward and that these achievements that I'm very proud of, the thing that is still very much eluding me is the ability to sit with affection and intimacy with another human being. All right. I'm going to tell you a secret. Uh-huh. And I told you that I, this is not an excuse for me to give you answers, but I'm going to break my rule. The way you get there is that you learn to sit and feel negative feelings. Oh. Your tendency, all of our tendencies, as long as we've got borderline personality disorder, is as soon as we feel something slightly negative is that we kind of go flee from it. Mm. The more skillful you get at recognizing, hey, this is a feeling, and I just tried to push it away, but, but I'm going to welcome it back. Mm. And I'm going to sit and analyze it for a little while. And I'm just going to let it do its thing. I'm going to try to figure out what it's trying to tell me, serve its purpose so that then it can fade. Yeah. And the more skillful you get at this, the more skillful you'll get at intimacy. Because intimacy also makes you feel uncomfortable. But I think that, um, I mean, I, I that is an incredibly helpful formulation. And it's a really poignant and useful way of explaining what goes on. My struggle with it, I think, is in that kind of learned experience of my life. Well, it, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, what I was what I was going to say, and, and this is where I've really kind of drilled down and kind of pinned down for me what has caused this problem is mm -hmm. all the many occasions of my life where I have opened myself and trusted the person I'm with and have been badly hurt. It was absolutely something that my mother used to do. It was something my ex-husband used to do. And when I left him and I finally trusted this colleague who invited me to come to him for help and who then assaulted me right in the most vulnerable moment of my life at that point. It's a tricky one because not trusting intimacy is a rational response to having past intimacies abused. Yes, ma'am, you are, you are correct. It is a totally <laughs> rational behavior on your part because of your life experience. Yeah. Well, you know, your fear, is, um, your fear and the confirmation of your fear. Your, mm. Let's say your perceived confirmation of your fear. First of all, you haven't experienced anything that any perfectly emotionally healthy person doesn't risk. You haven't risked anything that an emotionally healthy person doesn't risk. Emotionally healthy people also get burned. Right. I guess that I guess that an emotionally healthy person has the resilience and the Well, they they see it for what it is. When they get burned, it's not confirming anything yeah. because they don't have the underlying belief that you do. Yeah. The emotionally healthy person gets burned and they say, man, that, that sucks. <laughs> that person is an asshole and I can't believe that that happened to <laughs> yeah. me. Rather than I'm worthless, I'm hopeless, right. everybody's going to do that to me because it's all I deserve. Right, because the universe has conspired against me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I can find evidence in my life. I can, I can totally substantiate this, the hypothesis that the universe hates me. <laughs> I can find enough bad luck and 
and missed opportunities to be completely sure that the universe has got it in for me 100%. But I also know rationally that that is just not not an appropriate or a, a correct way of approaching my life. Let me just ask you, is there anything you'd like to say to the audience, to the people listening, something they can kind of think about and meditate over? Oh, do you know, I think it may make some people feel worse. It may make some f- people feel better. But in the most profound sense, what I would say is you have to take responsibility for your own emotional health. You cannot <clears throat> you, you you cannot shuffle it off to a doctor or a parent or a sibling or a child. You have to take responsibility for it yourself. And every single person that you interact with in whatever capacity, you should always adopt a question, is there something that is positive and constructive and useful for me? Or is it something which is just going to perpetuate a situation of unhealth and unhappiness? Ultimately, what I've what I've found is that nobody has the answers unless I work to make the answers for myself from what they give me but I can't I can't abandon my responsibility for my own state of mind and my own emotions I want to thank Jessica for being a guest on the program there were so many topics we covered that I wasn't able to fit into the program folks have a nice week thanks for listening and I'll see you on Thursday I've got a big backpacking trip I'm going on so um not sure how I'm going to handle that, if I'm going to publish it on Saturday or if there's some way that I can put it in the bank and have it automatically publish itself while I'm in the woods. Because I'm, I'm going to be away from any communication or contact or signals or anything with the outside world. So until then, I'll see you uh, either on Saturday or on Thursday or sometime in between. But as always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk real soon.